0: To a well read life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well read life. Hi, everyone. I apologize for the delay in releasing new episodes. There was just a lot going on in the past couple of months, and as much as it pained me, I had to put this podcast on hold for a bit. Now, before we get started with today's episode, there are a couple of housekeeping things I wanted to mention. First, in my last episode, I said I was planning to talk about the scent of water in my next episode. I'm still planning to talk about it, but it will be sometime early New Year. Second, I'm still planning the Weathering Heights episode with my mom and hopefully another friend. More details to come. But it will most likely be in February. Now, let's start today's episode. Today I'm talking about one of the most loved heroines of all time, Anne of Green Gables. If you aren't familiar with the book, it's the story of Anne Shirley, a girl who is orphaned as a baby and who has spent her early years in foster homes and children's asylums. At 11, she is mistakenly sent to live with brother and sister Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert at Green Gables in Avonlea. Anne is imaginative smart, a daydreamer, fiery, and in desperate need of love. The stories of how she comes to breathe life into Green Gables and the life of Matthew and Marilla make up this endearing children's classic. There was always something magical about Christmas morning when I was a small child. When we went to bed the night before, after having enjoyed the lingering beauty of the Christmas tree lit up in the darkness with its bright colors of red, blue green and yellow the room was bare other than christmas decorations but on christmas morning we would come in to see the room transformed filled with our gifts carefully laid out our gifts were never wrapped which i still prefer wrapped gifts were saved for christmas eve when our family exchanged small gifts with each other on christmas morning our presents were laid out in a wealth of glory and surprise with a small piece of paper in my mother's long looping script denoting the recipient's name Our bright knitted stockings were filled with candy that we were free to gorge on or save. There was no restraint on this day. A treat to children whose sugar intake was often kept in moderation. It was Christmas morning, and I was seven or eight years old. I don't remember if this particular Christmas morning is the year of the porcelain doll, dressed in long skirts with puffed sleeves, her hair arranged in ringlets, and my first sewing machine, with a basket filled with sewing notions and the makings of a quilt for my doll. Or if it was the year of my first proper bike, powder blue with a white banana seat. But, tucked under the tree, was a complete set of the Anne of Green Gables books, gifted by my dad for me and my sister to share. The cover of Anne of Green Gables had a picture from the 1980s miniseries with the incomparable Megan Follows on it. If you are a woman of a certain age, you know the set to which I am referring. We were Anne obsessed at my house, and this was a delightful surprise amongst the other showier presents. I know I've talked a lot about my mom's influence on my reading life, but I also want to give credit to my dad for his thoughtfulness in picking out gifts that were so tailor-made for his bookish daughter. It was my dad who gave me this set of books about my favorite heroine. She was a young girl with grit, fiery temper, who could hold a grudge as well as freely give love, and who could see and bring beauty to a drab and dull world. I was a few years older when I first read these books, and I've read them many times over the years. Like my set containing The Secret Garden, another Christmas gift from my dad, this set of books have moved with me countless times, always finding a home on my bookshelves. They have remained when I outgrew my first bike, my gangly legs too long for its short pedals, and my porcelain doll was placed in the attic for safekeeping. Yes, and in drawers when we outgrow our childish ways. She grows with us, I believe. I have a theory that you experience Anne of Green Gables differently at each stage of life in which you read it. I've watched the movie and read the book at various stages of my life, and each time there is an added layer of depth or some other heart-piercing way that Anne has spoken to my life. As a child, I was enamored with Anne's rich and dramatic imagination, completely absorbed in the love-hate story of her and Gilbert Blythe, and I romanticized all the hardship that she went through. A few years ago, now in middle age and at the beginning of my own adoption journey, I was touched by the story of Marilla. I was near tears at the end to see how her love for Anne had transformed her. It was the story of adoption at the heart of the book that then became the focus for me, although I can see that this focus started at the tender age of seven or eight, when God first planted the seed in my heart for adoption. And now, when my daughter is a toddler— with her own displays of temperament that remind me of Anne, the meaning of adoption in the book becomes deeper. It takes on the added meaning of a family being made up of parts that did not originally belong together, expertly woven together by God's masterful plan into something beautiful and sacred, replacing and healing areas of brokenness. It is especially poignant to me as I read it near the Advent and Christmas season, and I am pondering what it means to belong in the family of God, how we find our home in Him, and how he makes his home with us. Like me, you might still have the mass-market paperback collection of Anna Green Gables among your bookshelves, perhaps tucked in with the newer, more visually appealing covers of later editions. I have never been able to part with these gifts from my dad. I may keep these books purely for sentimental value now. Print is certainly an exercise for my eyesight, but if it's for sentimentality's sake or for some other unknown reason, these books will always remain on my bookshelves. Like this set, I can never be parted from Anne Girl. And now, here's more about the story. From the moment we are introduced to Anne as she rides from the train station with Matthew Cuthbert to Green Gables, and later in her meeting with Marilla, she tells us in her winsome, honest way of her desire for a home. Before Green Gables, Anne has lived in two foster homes, kept as a glorified servant and childminder. Ellen Montgomery doesn't go into detail but hints at the unhappiness and misery Anne experiences in these homes. One family has an alcoholic father who has drunken fits, and there is precious little that provides the needs of the beauty-hungry and love-starved child. After the foster home, she is sent to an orphan asylum, where we gather the impression that Anne is often overlooked because of her lack of beauty and trademark red hair. I may be overstretching here, but I have a theory that this, along with her deep love and awareness of beauty— is why she is so fixated on her appearance in the beginning of the book. For its part, Green Gables is a comfortable home, but it is lacking life and joy. Listen to how Green Gables is described in the beginning. Matthew Cuthbert's father, as shy and silent as his son after him, had got as far away as he possibly could from his fellow men without actually retreating into the woods when he founded his homestead. Green Gables was built at the furthest edge of his cleared land, and there it was to this day barely visible from the main road along which all the other Avonlea houses were so sociably situated. Mrs. Rachel Lynde did not call living in such a place living at all. The Cuthberts, Matthew and Marilla, the middle-aged brother and sister who live at Green Gables, are much like their house. They are both distant from the outside world, but there is a part of them, too, that is craving life and joy, love even, though perhaps they don't realize this at the start. And the beauty of the story, and one of its many facets, there are so many, is that it reminds us of this. A child who has no family, no home, an unwanted child, is given a place, a family, and love. And she, in turn, lavishly gives her love. And the lives of Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert are forever changed. Anne's transition to a place of belonging at Green Gables is not without its bumps and growing pains. Ellen Montgomery shows the hard work of love between the Cuthberts and Anne, and she doesn't shy away from an undercurrent of suffering in her joyful and amusing book. There are sacrifices on everyone's part to begin to love each other. Anne eventually must temper her romantic inclinations. Marilla must learn to open her heart to love, adjust to the interruption of her carefully ordered life, and come to appreciate Anne's joy in life and her ability of finding and bringing beauty into the world. And Matthew his sacrifice may be the greatest. He forfeits his health to keep Anne at Green Gables. As for the suffering that underlies the story, Anne is a child from a hard place. Aren't we glad that in spite of this, Anne's spirit is never dampened. Her past history is filled with neglect. I've made notes and underlined the many times Anne voices that she is unwanted throughout the story. You don't want me because I'm not a boy. Maybe the only one we remember. At first, we can mistake Anne's claims as hyperbole or dramatics from a preteen who has a flair for such things and a notoriously vivid imagination, perhaps because we love Anne so much, we gloss over these words, but we dismiss them to our detriment. There is truth to them; she is all too painfully aware of the social stigma placed on her because she is an orphan before she comes to Green Gables. Anne is treated like a burden by those who care for her. she is kept and clothed and fed because of what she can do. Love is not even a thought to these families or institutions. It is never considered until she comes to Green Gables. And in the midst of this hard work of love, we see its fruit when a family is created between Anne and the Cuthberts, and Anne is at last welcomed into a home. It is a joy to watch the love of this unlikely family take shape as the story unfolds. Who can read Anne of Green Gables and not marvel at the instant kinship of Matthew and Anne, Or tear up a little when Matthew tells Anne that he'd rather have adopted her than a dozen boys. I love Matthew and Anne's tender relationship. I always have. But as I said in the introduction, I have a soft spot for Anne and Marilla's relationship. I never took much thought of it when I was a child. But it's Marilla's love for Anne that touches my heart now. Perhaps because it's so hard won. Marilla, with all her hard edges, past the age of motherhood, who has no plans to love and nurture a child softens and comes to love Anne, a child who so desperately needs love. Practical Marilla is able to give and receive love because of the winsome, sprightly ways of Anne Shirley. It's this quote from Marilla that stays with me now, when Marilla comes to Anne at night as she cries over Matthew's death. She says to Anne then, I love you as dear as if you were my own flesh and blood, and you've been my joy and comfort ever since you came to Green Gables. Her words echo my own heart's cry about my daughter. And this from the woman who had a mind to send Anne back to the orphan asylum because she wasn't a boy. But Marilla needed Anne. Green Gables needed her too. In the words of Matthew before Anne leaves for Queens to study, She's been a blessing to us, and there was never a luckier mistake than what Mrs. Spencer made, if it was luck. I don't believe it was any such thing. It was providence, because the Almighty saw we needed her. There are so many reasons to love Anne of Green Gables. I'm sure many of you could make a list pages long of why you love the story and what Anne means to you. That is the beauty of Anne Shirley. She touches our lives in so many ways that are unique and yet unifying. Towards the middle of our adoption journey, after years of the heartbreak of infertility, when I was still in doubt that my husband and I would ever know the joy of having a child, my husband would often remind me that as Christians, we had been adopted into the family of Christ. At the time, it was a rallying cry that would help keep me going down a long and painful road, but later when my daughter joined our family, and that first time I looked down and awe at her beautiful face with that unmistakable buttoned nose and marveled at how perfectly God had formed her tiny body and that he had chosen us to care for her, my husband's words took on a deeper meaning. It was only in the following months, as we formed a tiny family, that I began to understand the weight and the sacredness and the beauty of being adopted into the family of God. I don't believe as Christians that we can ever divorce our faith from adoption. It is part of our story, holding a rich beauty and giving such dignity to our humanity. I think of this now as I am reacquainted with the story of Anne Shirley and her deep longing for a home, to be part of a family, and to find a true place of belonging. As I read this book as Advent drew near, I was reminded how Anne's story parallels our own. Aren't we all, in a sense, orphans longing for a home, to be part of a family? Until, as the beautiful truth from centuries ago tells us, Christ comes, and not only makes his home with us, but gives us a home too, a place of belonging in him. It reminds me of my favorite line from O Holy Night. Then he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. Like Anne, may we one day know how very loved and wanted we are. Read this book. Read it many times throughout your life. Fall in love with Anne and Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert with Gilbert Blythe. And if you're feeling generous with Rachel Lind, it is a classic for a reason. May your life be enriched with the world that L.M. Montgomery created. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks' time with a new episode. Until next time.